insert your own theme tune here. Yeah, That's, after a while, that what it's doing is really just showing that we're still so lazy we haven't made we haven't a theme, theme tune yet. <laughs> Unless someone actually does write in. Hello, this is Nick Doody. This is Kerry Marks. I'm just of nowhere, and we have another guest. Yay! Thank you so much for being here. We have with us Aisha Hazarika. Hello. Insert your own theme tune here. Oh. <laughs> you didn't bring a theme tune. Oh, I didn't realise I had oh, to bring no. I failed already. This is the story of my life. I'm just a serial underachiever. I, I, I would not say that. <laughs> uh, quickly, uh, how, would you, how would you describe yourself now? Because we first met as a youngish stand-ups. Yeah. Ages ago. Young, about 15 years ago. Where, where did you meet? Were, were you both doing a gig? We have definitely stood at the back of Rooms Above pubs. Yeah, I think we did quite a few gigs together on the illustrious open mic circuit. We might have done some Jeff Whiting gigs together. Yeah, who has done Rite of Passage? Yeah, exactly. Absolute (laughs) Rite of Passage, absolutely. But the the really nice thing about stand-up is that that camaraderie is is real because when you've done those sort of gigs and you stood in the back of those rooms, you basically, you're like blood brothers for the rest of your life for those people. You think there is that, that's why there's big camaraderie amongst comedians. Everyone's died at some point, haven't they? Everyone has humiliated themselves unspeakably in front of their peers. Yes, yeah. I remember thinking this because I want to get in touch with you to ask if you would do this. I was just thinking... After I sent you this really presumptuous message, hey, how are you doing? Are you going to do it? Is coming on? Like we would like, like we hang out in, in pubs every other day. And I realised, we probably must be easily over a decade since we've been alone. And it, it didn't occur to me for a second that you wouldn't be delighted to, because that's the camaraderie thing. very memorable. <laughs> Nick is memorable. But after, when I got the, te- when I got the message, I was like, oh, it's Nick, it's Nick. That's so uh, nice. So I think, I think you, I think it is quite, it's like family, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think it is. I mean, it's interesting, that idea of camaraderie. I wonder whether people should humiliate themselves together in groups more often. I think there's something in that, because I think yeah. stand-up is so unique. So, like, let's see other things I've done, like politics. It's the opposite. It's all about swagger in front of your peers and showing off in front of your peers and yes. being the best. Whereas I think, particularly when you start on the open mic circuit, because you just do die, like, a lot, or you're playing to, like, three people, and it is horrific, you almost <laughs> get used to failing really gloriously and openly in front of people, and I think that is where a lot of the bonding comes from. Bravado starts to look stupid, doesn't it, if you can't back it up? Because <laughs> you're going to have to go up from... That's the difference with a politician, I guess. You can just carry on delivering and, and being pompous if you need to. And oh, that's that so interesting. So do you think there's almost like a reverse, whereas, uh, like, a politician has to, has to seem human and kind of humble in front of the public and then goes backstage and swaggers around. No, I think politicians actually do feel they have to be quite swaggery when they're in front of the public as well. Like, So if you stand up in the House of Commons to make a speech, you can't be all humble and self-deprecating. You've got to be like, you know, I'm the man or I'm the woman, I'm brilliant, right. I'm great, this, that, the next thing. Do you think you cannot really? Or do you think it's, that's mostly that, that's how people feel they have to be? I think that is how people feel they have to be because um, you, you have to be very very powerful and self-assured to do self-deprecation in politics because otherwise if you say your shit and you're weak then all your opponents are going to seize on it and remember there's an entire industry of the media who spend the whole time just saying you're crap you're rubbish you're you've got everyone attacking you so why would you stand up like particularly like if you're a woman or something why would you kind of stand up and be like i'm really crap (laughs) as a politician when you're yeah. trying to show that you're powerful and you've got, when you've basically got the Sun and the Daily Mail and everybody yeah, lining yeah. up to say you're crap. If you don't mind me interrupting, I know it's only me. Yeah. But well, that, just, that's just a couple of words. Sort of... I, I won't bother. Yeah, Prime Minister's question I'm ever so sorry. Do you mind if I could just possibly make an interjection? <laughs> do, do, do you not know think that Jeremy Corbyn has changed 
in that sense in the last few years like when he became leader he, a lot of people just said oh he's just really bad at presenting himself and I know a couple of friends who, who they, just after a year or so sort of said has he, has he been having some media training because <laughs> he seemed to have learned not to get tetchy with journalists as much as he was sometimes he still sometimes gets no I think he's definitely improved and I think he's definitely definitely had um, some media training but he doesn't like care about it so much I think that's part of his appeal I think that's one of the reasons why people think he's quite authentic and sort of different so take for example Prime Minister's question so that used to be a big part of my job I used to prepare different leaders for PMQs oh yeah because we didn't really give you a background but but very quickly so um, what's your background in in politics as opposed to the back of pubs (laughs) and being in cars for very long journeys Um, are you in the back of of politics as well yeah you're in the back of the I'm also that's my role in life being in the back of the room or holding someone's coat Um, so I worked in politics for uh, god like almost 10 years and I was uh, I worked for Gordon Brown Harriet Hart and Ed Miliband and obviously it was a massive success it went really well also <laughs> Dice the Remain campaign that went really well what don't ever have Prime Minister I'd be pretty, pretty don't, don't give us any advice yeah exactly it's like if you want any advice do, I'm like the Jonah of British politics basically um, yes yeah, so I was an advisor in uh, when we were in government right. and then when we were in opposition um, so I did stuff like write speeches, deal with the media, do um, policy stuff, but prepare people for PMQs. How differently, and you don't have to name people here, but you can, but how differently do they take advice, different leaders? Oh, it's really interesting. It so depends on the individual. So um, Gordon Brown was very, he was not open to taking advice at all now that's partly just because he's shocker i know but, but that's also <laughs> just because he was like a big beast and he'd been around for such right. a long time right yeah. so he was he would take advice from very very few people uh harriet Harmon was very clear about what she wanted to do and she would sometimes take advice from you but you would have to really stand your ground so you'd have to have a huge kind of row with her about it and then oh, you'd really? have to make the case to her but then if you won and she did take your advice. She was great about it. She really, really took it. But you had to really make right, the case. Okay. Ed just would ask everybody for advice. So Ed would literally ask a hundred people for advice, and he would just go with what the last person really? said. Yeah. So oh, he that's was quite like, damning. yeah, yeah. So he was sort of. And the weird thing with Ed is his initial instincts were always right and good about things, but then he would almost talk himself out of what he wanted to actually do in, initially because he would talk to so many different people. <laughs> I would so be like that. I, just, <laughs> I, I, I know that's what I'd be like. You'd be really? the Ed Miliband of politics. I'm, yeah, like Tsar Nicholas II. Ed <laughs> Miliband always seemed to me to have a certain neediness to him. Do you know what I mean? Just kind of... I'd expect that of him. I'd expect him to just, just not be certain at any point and not want to put his foot down I and mean, say, you literally... this is definitely it now. You would literally have a decision and they'd be like, oh, God, you get in the, I'd get in the car and they'd be like, oh, God, all the I spoke to like 1,500 people last night. And like, I think we'd have to rip the whole thing up and start again. You'd be like, no! Oh, no. Oh, that was a really good semi-impression. I, I really like when someone could, I, I, you know, when you're not putting yourself on the line, so that has to sound exactly like them, but everybody knows who you're doing. <laughs> who was most fun? Were any of them fun? Yeah, they were fun. Politicians are interesting people and they are right. I'm a bit of a politics geek anyway both Ed and Harriet were really fun to work with uh, Gordon was quite stressful right right it's yeah, quite scary it was like Ooh. did you ever get a yeah. phone thrown at you 
No, but I saw people getting like a hair drying and it was quite scary. Oh, wow. Getting a hair drying? Yeah. Are you telling me when he got angry, he dried people's hair? Yeah. Just People used to keep their hair wet when they went in. Just, <laughs> no, they come, to come out with damage. <laughs> Is that why Ed Miliband looks so bouffant? It's just full of Gordon's breath. Oh, God, that's not a nice thought. <laughs> a lot of volume. <laughs> um, is your show you're doing up here, is that political? Uh, it is. I've just finished it, so I, I'm actually on my way home. My last show was last night, but I'm going to do a run at the Soho Theatre and take it on tour. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, Are we stopping you getting a train or something right now? <laughs> it will be in about 15 minutes and I've got how, one how long have you got? I've got to about 25 past and I've got to do one other thing okay. at the stand and then I've got to run to get my train um, okay. yes yeah, so I've just finished doing my show it's called Girl on Girl and it's about it's a mixture of I like the title <laughs> a lot of I'm men quite, I'm quite shallow so I think, I think about very the simple other, me about the other way around <laughs> a lot of men turned up to the show and were quite disappointed oh, no. <laughs> they're like where's the lesbian floor show and I was like guys you've got an hour of feminist critical theory ahead of you <laughs> um, so it's a show about it's about politics and it's also yeah. about um, the Me Too movement and it's about what's happening in feminism right now And because I do quite a lot of stuff on telly I do a lot of commentating and I get asked to fight other women all the time on telly now like up, up as part of the Me Too movement so it's about women fighting each other um, in the name of feminism Do you think that's happening more and more? Definitely. Is there an implosion? I think there's um, a desire by people that make television and radio to get women to fight about whether this is a problem so you always have this now you get a, let's say, a younger woman who says, right, the Me Too thing's really important, and she'll get pitched against an older woman going, oh, just calm down, you're all being ridiculous, you know, right. it's all gone too far. And there's, so there's this whole, that's the premise of the show, it's about... We kind used of, to swim in gropes. <laughs> we were brought up being groped by everyone. Yeah. You, you nowadays think you can, what? Groups. Groups, oh, it's groups, yeah, groups. yeah, it's very, very, very confused, isn't it? You know, you know, getting goosed at work, it's, a, it's just part of the thing, isn't it? Nothing wrong with a bit of bum cupping and all this stuff. <laughs> but that's what it's like all the time, and I find that I'm getting, I, I mean, I, I have this story where, like, I get asked, like, Radio 4 rings me up, and they're like, we really need you to come on and fight somebody. I'm like, oh, right. I love the fact he's fighting. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, who, who do I have to fight? Yeah. And I'm thinking, is there somebody like corner? Jordan Peterson or is there somebody that's going to be like really against everything I stand for? And they're like, it's Esther Ranson. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like, right. how can you fight Esther Ranson? Yeah, 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 that's like, not right, is it? <laughs> fight Childline, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, that's life. Apart from you work with Childline, <laughs> that's like, exactly. don't even mention that. <laughs> Besides, you can never get through. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think one of the reasons for that might be that in the climate as it is at the moment, if you're not part of the victim group being talked about, you can just have your views being dismissed. So, so a, like a, a while ago, you might be brought on to about something like me too, and you'd be on against some older man. Yeah, that's a lot of nonsense. I mean, no one ever complained when I did it. Whereas now, that looks so bad now. That there, there at least is a consciousness that if you if you want to disprove, if you want to go against the countervailing left, yeah, you, you at least want a woman to be the voice of that. And in, in, in a similar way to if you if you for instance think that Black Lives Matter have some things wrong, 
don't even bother saying it if you're white, but if someone like yeah. Colin Hughes says it, then that's yeah. all right. Yeah. No, no, I think that's absolutely... I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, TV uh, producers have cottoned on to just, as you say, kind of old chat from the spectator telling kind of young girl that it's all sort of in her head. It does not make good telly. It's actually better telly to have, you know, two women fighting over the fact, you know, does sexism exist? Is Me Too a real thing? Has it gone too far? You know, but why, why can't it just be people with opinions rather than fighting? It just feels like that everything now has to be a kind of trolling effect, and and it's not just TV; it's, it's social media. And everything. Yeah. Everyone's got to make big statements. Everyone's got to be um, a version of angry to get other people on their yeah. side and, and be negative in the most you know solid ways, rather than just go, "I think this," and the other person goes, "I don't agree. I think it's that," and that's it's. it's no, I mean, I would, I would love to have more of that, but everything is set up to be hyper confrontational. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, if you, if you, if you're getting booked to go on something, it's now the norm that the producer or whoever will ring you beforehand and basically say, you've got to have a fight. Right. Really? Yeah. It's They're the trying to cheer you person. up. And... Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's not. I've, just I've done a... a couple of these things, and I, I, it wasn't so much that. Your opponent called did you try... a bitch just before you came <laughs> on. No, she didn't, did she? She asked if you were retaining water because you're looking very bad. <laughs> 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 you're on now. <laughs> no, I was just saying my, my limited uh, experience of going on things like that. They do try to kind of box you into the corner they want you in so they can be in the opposite corner to their other guest. But it sounds to me like that's gone further now. It's definitely gone further. And I think one of the things that's really, like the the the, ba- the really bad thing about it, it's also a bit boring now because there's manufactured rides, everyone can tell they're like kind of slightly fake and they're yeah, boring. Yeah. But also what you're really missing is like much needed intelligent discussion yeah. because most stuff is complicated. Most stuff isn't like cartoon, black and white. You know, most stuff yes. is, you know, there's very, very difficult things that need to be discussed in a way which is calm, particularly in politics, but you, you're getting less and less of that I mean what the the goal now for a lot of um, news programs and things is the sort of dream is a big row and then they can clip it and then they can put it on social media and it can go viral and people can then have more rows off the back of that row and that, 10 years from now like ev- everything on TV will end with a fight <laughs> like, everything will just go another scene another fight you know, news night ending in a fight maybe they'll news take fight. it to- <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll take it to the extreme and like people actually have to physically fight each yeah, other totally. at the end of it everything ends with a stabbing <laughs> <laughs> the end of every yeah, like the, the end of Rector Ghost where everyone just running around the studio. <laughs> what they did, they put one firearm like in the middle of the room, oh. and at the age you have to sort of run at it. You know what it is also is, is everyone has to be an archetype. You know, they, they bring this person's the angry person. This person, much like yeah. when you watch, um, and it's, it's understandable on a program like um, like Come Dine with Me. But you know, you, you haven't know ever seen that program. But I, I find it so amusing that this person is the Greek, <laughs> <laughs> this person is the atheist, whatever. They, that's all they are. For the whole program, that's, that's it. and it seems a lot, a lot with interviews as well. Now we want everyone. This person has a very definite view. We understand immediately. They're like caricatured. Yeah. So, so tell, tell us what is your take on the Me Too? What, what, what sort of thing is? Where's your angle for the show? So the angle for my show is that um, that 
it it was it was a significant moment because for the first time a lot of women and and men but largely sort of women could say look this has happened to me because beforehand there was a bit of a rule that you just never talked about it so this big moment happened everyone could like talk about it so I sort of naively thought that women would just come together and support each other and sort of fight the system but actually we came together and we're fighting each other now and there's that's the kind of premise of the sort of girl on girl thing. Oh, okay. But I suppose my sort of conclusion of the whole thing is that, um, look, women don't have to agree on everything, right? We don't expect men to agree on everything, but you don't see men being wound up and put on telly to fight about things like how much money they earn or how much power they have or whether they've got the right to express a view or what they're wearing sort of thing. Whereas women are still debating really frivolous things like what you know you know like what outfit somebody should wear are you asking for it is there such a thing as the gender pay gap those are basic things so my kind of thing is like it would be quite good if we weren't taking lumps out of each other while we're still in the minority and all these things and if we kind of keep focused on the big things that because most things that matter to all women and most women don't really care that much about what another woman wears or if she's getting her boobs out or this that the next thing what what matters is stuff like equal pay, childcare, um, like dem- laws to protect women, domestic violence, stuff like that. So it's about kind of keeping focused okay. on the big things and also women being really bitchy about each other. Like I do a lot of bitching about other women in the show. Oh, do you? Yeah. I have a shit list. Oh, really? Okay. All right. I have a shit list of a All lot right. of women in it. How, how long is your shit list? <laughs> I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> it really does <laughs> go on for quite a long time. Do you think it's avoidable, though? When, when you have a, a discussion that's going on, not with... Uh, a small you know, political party, but millions of people on, on social media. You know, when, when something like this, Me Too is massive, right? So yeah. uh, uh, when there's that many people involved, the parameters of the discussion are going to be so wide. Yeah. That surely there's going to be infighting and disagreement as a natural part of that. And we're also going to hear the extremists. Now, nowadays, where the trolling is uh, the thing that gets you followers, it's going to be the people who are going to make extreme statements and they're, they're always going to take over a discussion. Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely true, but I sort of think, like, one of the debates that Master have all the time about Me Too is, has it all gone too far, and isn't it awful for men because they can't have fun at work anymore? <laughs> and that is like, so it's not actually a kind of more reasoned discussion about, right, so one of the reasons why a lot of this stuff happens is it's an abuse of power, and it's because there's not really that many senior women in very big jobs, whether sure. it's in TV, film, whatever, politics... So instead of having a more sensible discussion about that, you end up having a sort of ridiculous fight going, yeah, but it's terrible for men because you can't flirt anymore. And that's really not, for me, that's not the discussion that most women are sort of thinking about. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, mean, I, I read an interesting article, I wish I could remember her name, it's a female American academic who basically said, the, question, the answer to the question, has Me Too gone too far, is yes and no. For some, it, it, there are some individual cases where people have suffered because of a, a climate fear in one direction, and there are loads of people who still aren't speaking out when they should feel that they are able to, and so, so taking that into what you're talking about, this contra- this kind of idea that everything on TV has to be a fight. But also, if you surely if you take... it definitely went too far. Sure, surely the, the parameter where it's reached and the outer limits had to, had to go too far always there's a core, core amount of values that's, that's still, relevant that's... and important and then there's always going to be people who are going to take it down to every tiny minuscule level of behaviour to the point where 
um, you know, it's the way to, to the point where some people are upset about flirting and so on. That's surely. But nobody again. I think that's a false. Why? Well, as I would, I would really push back against that. I, I think it hasn't gone too far. I mean, look, the the statistics on this stuff. Half of all women surveyed said they've been sexually harassed at work. On average, in this right. country, like one girl's raped at school yeah. every day. So, like, there is a there is a problem. But, no, but again, that wouldn't be in the area too far, would it? I mean, that, that's kind of definitely of concern. But I mean, when it gets to the point where where, me too, a, where does Me Too end? Does Me Too end with people being raped? Does it end with people being uh, touched against the world? Does it, or does it end at flirting? Does it go down to looks? Well, so that, that's where the outer level is, right? As the woman in this discussion, <laughs> yeah. I would kind of say that again, you're with respect, you're sort of missing the point of the people. Always say, look, there's a line in the law, and that's where everything is, and you know everything before that, it's gone too far, and then the law kicks in. There's often a sort of continuum of right. of behaviour. And if you're a woman or if you're somebody in a position where you don't have a lot of power, you know when everything is okay because it's consensual. Nobody is saying, don't flirt. And you know when you're flirting with somebody because it doesn't make your skin crawl when they like breathe all over you and they kind of abuse their position of power. So again, that question of is it gone too far, that is a sort of false equivalence question that a TV producer will come up with, and invariably, the people who are making the TV shows, the commissioners, the thing, yep. they're white men. I'm sorry, that is just like a, a fact. Sure. So when they're having the discussion, like my friend who used to work in Newsnight, you know, they'd be having the discussion about how to tackle Me Too. She'd be sitting in a room full of men, and they'd be going, right, well, the discussion we've got to have is, has it gone, has it gone too far? Is it all about flirting? And she's the lone voice in the room going, this is not really about flirting, this is about something different. Are you not more aware of, when somebody says it's not gone too far, or, or it's, um, you know, it's not rocket science, it's really obvious what women are asking for and so on, is it, is it not that it's really obvious to you what you're asking for and what the people in, in a bubble who agree with you are asking for, rather than what the whole world of women are asking for? Because what men are seeing is, is, is not you, we're seeing uh, all the different uh, reactions all across the board. And when you say it's not about flirting, it clearly is about flirting as well. It clearly it's... is about... Like, if, if you talk about um, white power, for instance, uh, someone tweeted recently complaining about um, the way white people smile because uh, it makes them feel bad. So clearly, they take it too far. What I'm saying is there are always people who will take it too far. Yeah, but again, you're, you're picking on... You're, you're highlighting a really small minority of, of individuals who would say it, you know, it's gone too far. I think for most women, what... And also young men as well. Like when I worked in Parliament, there was a lot of sexual abuse of, of young men, young gay men. Right. I think what people are looking for is really, really simple. It's kind of not to be um, harassed or, or bullied. And it's about it's actually abuse of power. That's actually sure. what it is. Sure. And at the moment, well, however you cut it, whatever metric, where you, where you take out the emotion of has it gone too far, who has the most power in most places? doesn't tend to be young women no does it it doesn't it tends to be a certain type of human being yeah and we know who those that human being i'm not saying we have to wage war with everybody but it's just that is like so much of this stuff is abuse of power when i saw this stuff happening in the music industry and i've seen it in the stand-up circuit when i've seen it in politics actually weirdly not that much about it is is kind of sex weirdly it is abuse of power it's kind of like i have got a hold over maybe you're getting a job or getting a promotion and I'm going to use my power to try and get a date with you or yep. flirt with you or, you know, going to make you be ingratiate yourself to me in a certain sort of way and it obviously it gets on a sort of continuum. 
do, do you think part of uh, people are misunderstanding that? Is it a partially that Me Too is not an official movement? It doesn't have like you know, a, sorry, an headstone of things that it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, of exact things it's aiming for. Um, what I wanted to bring up was uh, kind of before Me Too, there was everyday sexism, which to me was massively eye opening. As a thing, with you know, with, with with me too, I think it's much more. You know, it is more in the realm of sort of sexual harassment, but in just thing, things that are less being sexually harassed, more things just not being listened to, yeah, or things like is, is that something that you? D- yeah, as well? absolutely, and I think that that is all. I think that's all part of the the story because look, me too is it's a hashtag, right? It's yeah. a hashtag thing on social media. It's not like this big thing as you say set in stone it's not like a piece of legislation like when i w- worked on the equality act or something it's it's a it's a yeah. it's a movement right and it's a it's a it's a big feeling but the everyday sexism the me too the times up all the different sort of campaigns they just start what they really are they're a vehicle for people to start telling their stories some of it is about sexual harassment but you're right some of it is also just um not being taken seriously um being sort of overlooked things just feeling that you you can't get heard sometimes or you're not listened to you're just not taking that seriously I mean my last stand-up show that I did was about my time working in politics and about quite often being the minority a in terms of being the only woman in a room of very very senior powerful influential men pretty much being the only person of colour like in the entire Labour Party at, at right. a senior sort of level um, the only person, obviously, from a Muslim background or anything like that, and what it's like being a sort of person in the room when you kind of feel like you're not being heard can be quite... Or well, even just getting in the room. A lot of people just <laughs> fight really hard to get into the room, yeah. and then they get in there, and you know, it's quite hard sometimes to get your, your voice heard. So I think, I think all of these campaigns are sort of... They're definitely not perfect, and they're not, like, specific, but they're just... Part of it is, is, to, is storytelling, and people, like being able to feel that they can talk about stuff that they would have either beforehand it would have been ignored or dismissed or you would have right. been laughed at or people being like oh shut up come on you know yeah can, can I massively change the subject hugely because we don't have much time I wanted to get this in partially because Kerry you have skin in the game of this story as well the recent uh, Boris Johnson's recent article oh yeah uh, yeah concerning yeah concerning the burqa yeah uh, you wrote something about and as you say you're from a Muslim background I don't, are you, mm-hmm. uh, are you uh, you practicing Muslim? Or are you just... No, as my hangover. Are you, a belie- are, you, are you a believer? No, I'm not very. No, I'm not really religious. So, so you're Muslim, like I'm Catholic. Yes, yes, right, yes. Right, okay. Uh, which that, that, turns out that's a, that's a standard. Uh, you're the standard, yeah, are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Shabby Kostandi yeah. says uh, she's Muslim, like her parents are Muslim, like I'm Catholic. So that's how Muslim she's not. Right. Okay. So you're, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so I wonder, uh, what, what's your take on uh, Boris's article that he read in the Telegraph a few days ago now? Yeah. So my take on that is that. I'm obviously no huge fan of uh, women covering their faces or anything like that. Um, and I'm not, you know, I haven't chosen to practice my religion or, or, or any of that kind of thing. But I was sort of furious with what he did because it was incredibly, it's nothing to do about, it's nothing to do with Muslim women. The idea that he's going to go in some massive campaign to liberate these 300 women and save them and he's now going to put his shoulder to the wheel and really, really get stuck in. It's absolute bullish. It's 300, is that around? 
that there's, they estimate that there is only 300 <coughs> women in this country right. that wear the veil, right? right? So he's made this well, mass... Full, not just the birth, but just uh, any, any full face. Yeah, yeah. It's a very small number, yeah. right? So I'm from Bradford, so my sense, of course, is that there must be far more than that. But I can easily imagine I, I've met half of them. <laughs> you wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't know. Yeah, um, I just met the face. So three so it's, not, from, it's not a major me, threat or, or anything in our country, no. is it? So, so for yeah. me, th- what I thought he was doing is, it's a... It's about politics. There's nothing to do with religion. It's about politics. And he is he's desperately trying to shore up his potential leadership bid. He knows that the Conservative grassroots want the Conservative Party to move way more to the right. He knows that there is um, the rise of... There is a big growing bit of society that wants a more hardline, anti-immigration, much more hardline right-wing leader... So he's like, hello, everybody, I'm here. I'm doing this weird dog whistle thing, culture war, culture war, look at me. And that's what it is. And for me, I, I thought that was awful because he's kind of... you. Muslim women in the veils are really easy target to sort of inflame this kind of row. If he, if he genuinely cares about wanting to help Muslim women, which I'd be, I would back him all the way, he'd be saying, right... Let's put money into helping these women learn English. Right. Let's try and skill them up so they can work. Because if you work, you integrate. You wouldn't want to wear your kind of veil. But there's nothing of that. It's just a, here's a dog whistle. And the minute you do that, and other politicians on it, Jack Straw from the Labour Party did it many, many years ago, what happens is attacks on Muslim women go up because they're a really easy target. Right, right. Um, are you angry with him for stealing jokes from me? As he nicked your stuff? He dicked my joke. What not, about the letterbox? Yeah, but not I would ever do it nowadays. But but it was back in the time when it was it, it was before even like the Burqa ban in France, you know. So it was like uh, the it wasn't even like it wasn't so controversial back then when I wrote the joke. It was more that it was just seen as a clothing of oppression, and it was quite simple. And then before there was discussion about there's also uh, the choice of women to wear the outfit and so on. But the joke was about being stoned. It was it was part of a, a whole thing. A load of things happened whilst I was stoned, and one of them was that. Uh, the other day, I was so stoned that I posted a letter into a Muslim woman's face, and ah. but, but then there was then there was a poor pause, and then I go, she was on the way to a fancy dress party dressed as a postbox, and I'd have a go at the audience for <laughs> for, for their presumption, um, and it was a throwaway that I had for a little while, and then stopped using it because times changed, and realised it wasn't quite right anymore, or or it. I think it was one of those ones that you think is funny at the time. Then every now and then you get, you know, you know, as comedians, we recognise different types of laugh. Yeah, if yeah. We don't yeah. talk about it much. We sometimes go, "That's definitely there's this racist laugh coming from over here or whatever." So I drop the stuff, and then he's done this joke. And at first, when when someone else gets in trouble for one of my jokes, I just go, <laughs> "Well, I'm not going to claim it now." And then Rowan Atkinson steps forward and goes, "Actually, that's a really good joke." And I'm going, "Oh shit!" Now I wish I would. Yeah, a copyright, copyright. Yeah, excuse me, Kerry. Excuse me, yeah, but. But your joke was much funnier than this. Well, yeah, and it was playful, but and also, but also it's told also, by a comedian, not by somebody who wants to that's be the prime minister. Yeah, with a huge, also like I still can't go how much money he gets paid for his column, but anyway, that's just politicians have feed two hundred seventy-five thousand quid. Dude, it's just like ah. You can straddle the straddle line because you've you've done comedy, right? So yeah. you know what comedy is. Yeah. But a lot of politicians they they shouldn't do comedy. But also he like he wasn't even doing it to be sort of. I mean, the other thing about Boris is there's this huge misconception that he's like hilarious and he's super funny. He's he's not. Yeah. I mean, he just like sounds posh and looks sounds a bit looks kind ridiculous. of yeah, and says sort of silly words. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, comedy genius, comedy genius. Yeah. But it was just, um, it was just such a ridiculous 
thing. But now the other thing that is doing my head, I mean, this thing has just, it has really done my head and I've got really, really exercised about it over the last couple of days just because I get so annoyed. But it's the thing, so he's he's started this massive discussion about it and it's a complete sort of false flag discussion because even quite sort of liberally people are going, well, you know, actually he's he's got a point. And again, it's like, if you want to have a discussion about helping Muslim women, I'm all for it, but like, nobody's really doing it in the in in with the good of intentions but now the worst thing is every single other johnson in the family has written articles so stanley johnson his dad has written a big article going my son didn't go far enough you know <laughs> ban muslim women just ban them all you know and then rachel johnson's like popped up in the mail on site it's just like i can't it's like you it's like you can't escape them yeah 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 <laughs> Like a cottage industry. Imagine <laughs> one family, all of whom could get published in the Telegraph and yeah. Mail. And but you know, at one point they was like they were all so they were all in these reality shows. Like Stanley Johnson was in the jungle. Right. I think Rachel Johnson was going on like Big Brother. I was just thinking, God, we're gonna have one of those awful sort of like we're gonna have to have a, like at home with the Johnsons or something. <laughs> like that. Wow. Yeah. Keeping up with the Johnson soap. It's waiting to happen, isn't it? It is waiting to happen. Yeah. It is waiting to happen. Well, Each week you get to vote one of the Johnsons out. <laughs> the, one, the one election I'd be happy but to see. But you vote all in one go, then. It's a shame. <laughs> but do you know, I think, um, I think you'll be our next Prime Minister. You think that's likely right now? Yeah, I do. I what? really do. I have got a total feeling in my gut. That Very quickly, what do you, what do you, why? Because so I think time, so. the uh, public... Kind of what we were looping back to say earlier in our chat about the media and social media quite liking conflict and conflict yeah. and extremes. I think people quite like that in politics much. You've got Jeremy Corbyn, who is a true red socialist. Labour Party hasn't been this left for a long time. Yeah. When I get out of the my little bubble and I go out like out like outside London and door knocking and places and things, people want a, a, a left-wing Labour Party and they're quite happy with... Corbyn might not agree with everything but they know what he stands for conservatives are saying to me I want a proper true blue Tory leader I don't want one of these kind of soft people down the middle I want somebody to properly take on Jeremy Corbyn I want a contest between a proper socialist and a proper yeah, true blue yeah. conservative. Yeah. Oh God, they're the same as your problem. It's the girl on girl thing again. They just yeah. want confrontation. And yeah. that is really a statement of the modern times, isn't it? And uh, and because a lot of the Tories have seen what what the Labour Party has done, which they the, the party members picked somebody that they they satisfied this emotional need to go to the left. They want to go to the right, so they think, well, hang on a minute. The Labour Party's been able to do that. And it's going quite well. We should do that as well. Yeah. And so this stuff with all the back and everything, as much as you know, people like me are like, oh, it's awful, it's awful. A lot of people out there absolutely love it, and it's having the desired yes. effect. Yeah, yeah. I think we're back to our future where everyone's being stabbed in the end of every interview and everything. A prime minister <laughs> says, prime minister will talk, kill someone. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a dystopian kind of know, future where prime minister's <laughs> questions literally does end with like yeah. a stabbing. <laughs> comes out with a machine gun. Or a machete or something. <laughs> because in the olden days, the, the 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 distance between the dispatch box was meant to be just short, like just slightly longer than two swords, so that nobody could kill each Is other. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Now they'll be bringing that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a duel well, at the end have of lasers it. That's so like, like like no one can throw a knife. That's so like <laughs> <laughs> so British. I mean, um, we'll make a little bit of a gesture towards safety. 
we're going to have to wind up because you're you're out of time. But um, oh, yeah, it's been lovely. I, I really wanted to ask you a whole load more questions. Oh, well, I'll have me on but, again. Uh, have me on do again. Another one sometime. Yeah, okay no. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, for coming. Thank you for letting us uh, come to the hotel room that you're not supposed to still be in. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, I've put a gun in the middle of the room. <laughs> Contenders ready. Yes. It's going to get messy. I think Kerry's going to come out alive. Yeah. Isn't he? He's going to be the only one I'm left. I'm in a fighting mood. <laughs> even, yeah. even with the sciatica. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Still driven by the well, anger of having your jokes done by Boris oh, Johnson. Oh, I can't even say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault. Asia, thank you very much for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Been a pleasure. pleasure. Thanks.